look over the past couple weeks, if you remember, the, um, we've been talking about Saul's conversion. We covered that a few weeks ago. And the kind of an underlying theme that we've had over these past few weeks, and even the week that Trish and the different missionary friends were sharing the different international workers, is that God can reach anyone, anywhere and everywhere, at any time. So this morning, we're going to be looking at two different people focusing on them and kind of breaking it in half and just talking about who they are and what led to their, you know, the the conversion and the different parts of that. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 32 and reading through chapter 10, verse 23. So I'm going to read through the scripture uh, and then I will go ahead and pray and then we'll get into this. So it starts in Acts 9, 32. Bible says, Meanwhile, Peter traveled from place to place, and he came down to visit the believers in the town of Lydda. There he met a man named Aeneas, who had been paralyzed and bedridden for eight years. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your sleeping mat. And he was healed instantly. Then the whole population of Lydda and Sharon saw Aeneas walking around, and they turned to the Lord. There was a believer in Joppa named Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas. She was always doing kind things for others and helping the poor. About this time, she became ill and died. Her body was washed for burial and laid in an upstairs room. But the believers had heard that Peter was nearby in Lydda, so they sent two men to beg him, Please come as soon as possible. So Peter returned with them, and as soon as he arrived, they took him to the upstairs room. The room was filled with widows who were weeping and showing him the coats and other clothes Dorcas had made for them. But Peter asked them all to leave the room. Then he knelt and prayed. Turning to the body, he said, get up, Tabitha, and she opened her eyes. When she saw Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and he helped her up. Then he called into the widows, and then he called in the widows and all the believers, and he presented her to them alive. The news spread through the whole town, and many believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed a long time in Joppa, not Joppa, Maryland, living with Simon, a tanner of hides. In Caesarea, there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius, who was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. One afternoon, about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming toward him. Cornelius, the angel said. Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? He asked the angel. And the angel replied, your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying with Simon, a tanner who lives near the seashore. As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier, one of his personal attendants. He told them what had happened and sent them off to Joppa. The next day, as Cornelius's messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on the flat roof to pray. It was about noon and he was hungry. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the sky open and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. Then a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat them. 
No, Lord, Peter declared. I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. But the voice spoke again. Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times. Then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. Peter was very perplexed. What could the vision mean? Just then the man sent by Cornelius found Simon's house. Standing outside the gate, they asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, three men have come looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them without hesitation. Don't worry, for I have sent them. So Peter went down and said, I'm the man you are looking for. Why have you come? They said, we were sent by Cornelius, a Roman officer. He is a devout and God-fearing man, well-respected by all the Jews. A holy angel instructed him to summon you to his house so that he can hear your message. So Peter invited the men to stay for the night. The next day, he went with them, accompanied by some of the brothers from Joppa. Let's pray. God, we thank you. Uh, for your word this morning. We thank you for this time. Father, we thank you for the worship that we had, the prayer time to remember. Uh, just again, what happened 21 years ago and Father, the impact that it made on so many of us. Father, as we talk about making an impact this morning, uh, that we would just remember the power of our witness, the power of our testimony. And as we see these examples in your word this morning, I pray that it would uh, edify us and that we would leave here remembering the words from your word. Father, uh, use me to communicate your word and let every single word that comes out of my mouth be your words, Father. And we ask this all in your name, amen. All right, so everybody take a deep breath. There's a lot that happened in the text that we just read through. It's a pretty significant chunk of scripture. We, we're hearing the names of different people. We're hearing a couple different things going on. If you're still focusing on why the sheet came down with the animals and reptiles in it, just buckle your seatbelts. We'll get to that in just a little bit. So our text this morning, however, started out with the closing verses of chapter nine, talking about Peter healing Aeneas and the raising of Dorcas, my favorite biblical name. Dorcas, or as some might call her, Tabitha, was no doubt a disciple of Jesus. She lived out her faithfulness, but she did so in a behind-the-scenes manner. If you are someone who is up in front of people, or if you have a director position in your job, or you are in the position where you are kind of the go-to person, you understand the value of behind-the-scenes people. Because what the people that are behind-the-scenes do is they do their part so the people who can be in the front can do their part. Now, it was because of Dorcas's faithfulness that she touched so many people. She showed mercy to everyone who was in need. She had a willingness to reach anyone and everyone for the sake of the gospel. Now, if that is not a reminder for us right out of the shoot this morning, this reminder of this woman who had a willingness to reach anyone and everyone for the sake of the gospel. The text says that Dorcas got sick. She died. And in response to her death, these people, they sent messengers to Peter because they knew he was nearby to come because of how valued 
Dorcas's life was. And Peter, who was led by the Spirit, he came, he prayed over her body, and he told her to get up, and she was raised alive and whole again. And through that, many people came to know Christ. You see, when people experience the ministry of people like Dorcas, lives are going to be changed. And we can be thankful for every single day that God has people like Dorcas who are ready to serve others, that there are people like us who are ready to serve others. And this morning, there's someone else that's going to be coming into our conversation who served God and witnessed another changed life. Now, before we get to that part, I, I did want to point out something that's kind of interesting about our text this morning from a geographical standpoint. Now, verse 36 tells us that this takes place in the city of Joppa. Again, not up I-95 in Joppa, Maryland. Joppa was a very important harbor city that overlooked the Mediterranean Sea. Joppa was the town in which the cedars of Lebanon had been floated to be shipped to Jerusalem for use in the construction of the temple. We hear about that in two spots in the Old Testament. 2 Chronicles 2.16, which says, We will cut whatever timber you need from the Lebanon mountains and will float the logs and rafts down the coast of the Mediterranean Sea to Joppa. From there you can transport the logs up to Jerusalem. And then Ezra chapter 3 verse 7 says, Then the people hired masons and carpenters and bought cedar logs from the people of Tyre and Sidon, paying them with food, wine, and olive oil. The logs were brought down from the Lebanon mountains and floated along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea to Joppa, for King Cyrus had given permission for this. I just love those little interesting Details I feel are, are, they're important to mention because it just kind of adds some context to it. And something else that's interesting about this city is that there was a certain prophet by the name of Jonah, which you all probably have heard of, who had left from the port of Joppa on his, shall we say, eventful journey. Jonah 1.3 says, But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. Ah, yes, now it's coming back to us. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish, because if you're going to go somewhere, you definitely go somewhere with a name like that. He bought a ticket and went on board hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish, because we all know that escaping the Lord is a very solid plan that will work out in the end. Thank you for not agreeing with me on that one. So back to Joppa because Jonah's a message series for another time. Peter stayed at the home of Simon, who was a tanner. And no, I don't mean someone who laid out in the sun for a living. Um, for those youngins who are here this morning and don't know what a tanner is, tanners made the hides of animals into leather. Now, what is the significance of Peter staying at Simon's house? What's the significance? Well, I'm glad you're thinking that. Peter is in the home of a tanner, which obviously involves contact with dead animals, right? If you recall, as Peter referenced in our text, Jewish law clearly stated that this was an unclean occupation. It was not a job you should have. This is such a significant piece of text, and I don't want you to miss this, because 
What Peter's doing here is he is beginning finally to let down the walls of his personal prejudice against those who were not just like him, along with those who had customs that did not follow Jewish religious traditions. This is super important. And don't forget about this because you see what's going on here besides Peter letting down these walls of prejudice is he is not allowing the customs and traditions to impact him and stop him from sharing the good news. As we move into chapter 10 of our main text, we have moved from Joppa to Caesarea, which is just as important because Caesarea, which was about 30-ish miles north of Joppa, was the first city to have Gentile Christians along with a non-Jewish church. Continuing with our movement into chapter 10, we're introduced to a man named Cornelius, who was a Roman centurion who had a hundred soldiers in his command. Cornelius, who was currently stationed in Caesarea, was a man who was viewed as a powerhouse. He commanded authority. He received it along with a tremendous amount of influence that he had among the Gentiles. His conversion was a huge massive and more than likely unexpected event. And it was really this, I guess you could say stepping stone for the gospel to get into the capital city of the empire. Now, according to the Jewish law, there were certain foods that were forbidden to be eaten, which was established back in the Old Testament book of Leviticus. And eating these forbidden foods would make a person unclean and they would be unable or unfit for worship, whether it was publicly or even just to be around other Jews until they performed certain sacraments to become clean again. These particular food laws made it very challenging for Jews to eat with Gentiles without becoming, as they called it, the word they used was defiled. As a matter of fact, the Gentiles themselves were commonly viewed as unclean people. God used this vision. This is, again, back to the the blanket being lowered down with the reptiles and animals where Peter is commanded to kill and eat. It's, I mean, this this is huge here because God is using this vision of unclean foods to show Peter that he should not look upon the Gentiles as inferior or useless, or even as unclean people like the law said that they were. Jewish believers also thought that only Jews or those who had converted to Judaism could become followers of Jesus. How narrow-minded of them. But hey, remember, in their eyes, they're following the law. They're following the law that they have been told that has been grounded into their heads. See, without this vision from God, the thought, the very thought that a Gentile Roman officer like Cornelius could become a Christian, that's never going to cross his mind. Without this vision that we read and we're like, what in the world is going on here? Without that vision, that thought never crosses his mind. Peter is following the Jewish law, and according to that law, 
Cornelius could have never become a follower of Jesus. So kind of like we had with Ananias and Saul, where it, you know, it's Ananias, you know, go, go tell Saul about me. And Ananias is like, really? This guy? Here's, here's Peter. Here we go. Here comes Cornelius. It's like, there is no way. He, he can't, according to the law, he cannot become a follower of God. And what we are seeing here, plain as day, and right here in front of us, is a massive shift that is happening in Peter's life, in Peter's testimony, that is going to impact everyone around him. You see, when we give God control of a situation, that's when a shift is going to happen. Because we are letting down the limitations that we're trying to put on God in these situations, and we're letting God work. Just like we sang in the opening song this morning, Waymaker, we, we've got to stop thinking that just because we don't see God working, that he's not. Because what does that song say? Even when I don't see it, you're working. When we give God control, that's when shifts happen. That's when breakthrough happens. And that's when lives are changed. Peter, he was so well-versed in Jewish tradition, and he was filled with so many biases. And if you know anything about Peter, he was stubborn. So for him, he was convinced with every fiber of his being that his views on the Gentile people were the right views and that ultimately he was right. You ever got in an argument with someone who they just know that they are right and there is no amount of facts that you can put in front of their face to change their mind on that one? Those are some of my favorite people. They're just some of my favorite people to get in discussions with because they know that they know that they know that they are right. But I mean, look at this text, Acts 10, 15, and 16. But the voice spoke again. Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times. Then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. Yes, you are reading that correctly. Peter needed a three-part heavenly vision for it to sink in. He needed a three-part vision from God, a heavenly vision from God in order to change his mind. How many times have we been going through our lives and we are just, we're fixated on something or we have this thought on something and we don't hear the first time God tells us. We don't hear the second time God tells us. And sometimes we don't even hear the third time that God tells us. You know, um, back in, in 2012, when Cherish and I were serving at a previous church and we had a brand new pastor that had just come in and he had said to me, he said, he said I want you, I, I wasn't really doing much at the church at that time. Um, I had just gotten out of a really bad relationship and I wasn't really sure what direction in life I was going in. I was, uh, that fall, I had just started working for Baltimore County Public Schools. Um, and uh, the pastor says, hey, I want, you to, I want you to come down to the office today. I'm thinking, okay, pal, sure. So go down there, sit down. He says, uh, well, there's a, there's a vacancy in children's ministry this fall. I'm like, okay, why are you telling me this? He goes, uh, 
I, I think you should uh, be our Awana director. And I just started laughing. I said, I think you're nuts. I said, I have, other than helping out in children's church, I've never, I've never worked in children's ministry. I've only ever done youth ministry. He says, well, I, you know, there's, there's other people that are running the youth ministry right now. I, I think you're the right guy for the children's ministry. And I said, okay, I still think you're nuts, but okay. So uh, we, we talked for a little bit and then uh, I left and um, I got home and my, my mom and dad were like, what did, what did, what did the pastor want? I said, <laughs> I said, he, he thinks I should be the next uh, Awana director. And I remember my dad going, <laughs> okay. And we're, we're talking about it. We're laughing about it. And um, I love saying this because I know she's here, obviously. But uh, my mom is one of those moms that saves everything. Uh, I have this, she has saved over the years, this big baby blue tote of like my kindergarten coloring things. She has saved uh, the picture in first grade. I was in Catholic school for a year and the teacher called my parents out of their classrooms at their school to bring them up to the school for the meeting to show them that as a first grader, I couldn't color inside the lines all the way. So my mom saved that picture because that was just legendary for her. Um, but she saved everything. If, if you were a kid that ever heard of Awana Children's Program, she saved my books. She saved my vest. She saved everything. So that night I'm thinking about the pastor's words about children's ministry. I'm like, this guy is nuts. I have no, I don't feel called to do this. I, there's no way. I don't even know the first thing about Awana because I was the kid that, you know, I, I played Little League Baseball growing up. So I missed Awana a lot because that's when our Beautiful Little League games were. And um, my mom says, well, why don't you go ahead and just uh, tidy up your room a bit and, uh, you know, let's just keep thinking about it. I said, okay, mom, sure. So cleaning in the closet, organizing the closet, and uh, <laughs> this is absolutely true story. Um, the blue bin was up on my top shelf. This blue bin that was in my closet of everything my mother had saved from my entire childhood. And I'm cleaning, I'm organizing, and the blue bin, I don't know what did it, to disrupt it, but the blue bin fell off the shelf and knocked me flat on my back. And the lid popped off and I get up and what is laying right on top is my Awana Sparks vest from when I was a kindergartner from the children's ministry program. And my first thought was, God, we had to be that forceful with this. But how many times he had said to me, this is where I want you to be. So here we have Peter who has to let down these walls of Jewish law for him to be able to talk to Cornelius. One of the most practical things that can be taken away from this encounter in God's word is this. When God speaks... Don't challenge him. In theme with what we've been doing, I'm going to say it again. When God speaks, don't challenge him. And for good measure, a third time. When God speaks, don't challenge him. Doubting God is one of the dumbest things that we could ever do. But we do it. Why do we doubt someone who has our best interests in mind? When God says something is the way that it is, debating with him is such a waste of time. But guess what? We do it. I'll tell you why. 
We hate submission. We hate it. We hate not having control. We live in a control freak society. I say this because submitting to God when he tells us something is the correct response because what he is doing is he is revealing his truth to us. He is revealing his way to us. He is revealing his plan to us, his purpose for us. Now, listen, I might have just struck a few strings with folks in here today because if you're arguing with God today, give up. And listen, this is a great thing for you to give up on is arguing with God because, spoiler alert, you're not going to win. Stop being stubborn. Be, and and I'm, I'm talking to myself here too. We're, preachers, we're talking to ourselves so many times when we're up here sharing the word. Correct, Jeff? We're, we're, we're talking to ourselves too. Stop being stubborn because the last time that I checked, there are no greater plans for you than his plans for you. It took a three-part vision for Peter to realize that. Now, the, again, the last time that I was up here, I gave you all this visual of Ananias, what he probably said when the Lord told him to go share the gospel with Saul. And here we are in this similar spot. Ananias was like, this guy, he's murdering those who follow you. Peter is like, but, but, but the Jewish law, the Jewish law, the Jewish law. He forgot about what Jesus said. Matthew 5, 17 and 18. Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. Stop arguing with God. Cornelius, this religious, devoted, generous respected, sincere man. But what still separated him from God? His sin. I want to remind you this morning that we must not take earnestness and try to match it up with righteousness before God. It's not going to work. We cannot match earnestness with his righteousness. In the text this morning, Luke has given us such a strong and specific detail about the story of Cornelius to show the desire of God for us to be saved and to know him. But here's the thing. He's not gonna force you. God sent Peter as stubborn as he was to this Roman family in order to present the truth of his grace and salvation for all people because of Jesus. You see, Luke, he includes these fine details of how God worked the timing, the vision, all of it for his good and as a part of his plan. Even the length of Peter's journey gave time for Cornelius to invite friends, family, and neighbors into his home so even more could hear the good news. This is how God works. It's in amazing ways. It's such a wild experience to look back and see how he was moving, where he was moving. And those questions were those times where we said, God, what are you doing? And we look back one day and we see the answer. 
We see what he was doing. We see what he was preparing us for. Even in those moments where we didn't think that he was. As we begin to move towards the end and prepare our hearts for communion today, I got to ask you this question from our text this morning is there's kind of this underlying question that is in there that I pulled out. What will happen to people who have never heard about Jesus? This question gets asked so often when people are discussing God's justice. We think to ourselves, would God really condemn a person who never had the opportunity to hear the good news? How could this be? While we cannot and never will fully know the mind of God, there is plenty in scripture that it tells us about the nature of God. Second Peter 3, 9. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. So what is God? God is loving. He is merciful. He is just and desires for everyone to come know him. You see, Cornelius did not have a single clue about Jesus as the Messiah, the son of God. But what he was doing was something that we should be doing every single day of our lives. He was seeking God. He was reverent toward God and he was generous. So God sent Peter to witness to him. If there is one thing that you take away from this message this morning, let it be this. The story of Cornelius demonstrates God's willingness to use extraordinary means to reach those who have a desire to know him. If there is someone in your life who knows that you are a Christian, knows that you are a follower of Jesus, knows that you go to church, knows that your life has been changed by God, they will then more than likely develop that same desire, that desire to know him more, and God will do anything and everything to help you make that happen. God spoke to Cornelius through a vision. If you know anything about God, God will speak to people in a wide range of ways, won't he? We got Moses in the burning bush, the gentle whisper that was heard by Elijah, and the, the list just goes on and on. Now, let me be quite straightforward with this again as we're going to close here. God will speak to his people in whatever way that he chooses, through his word, the scriptures, through other people, their words, through events and circumstances. God can even use dreams, visions, and angels. So here is the deal. When God speaks, we need to be ready to respond. In recent years, there has been a movement of calling people who are not Christians seekers. Have you heard that term used before, seekers? It was a way to classify people who come into the church looking for God without labeling themselves offensively as sinners. It was a way to try to keep church accessible to anyone and everyone. Churches might call themselves seeker sensitive. However, I've come to believe that the terminology is a little misleading because it implies the mindset that once I decide to follow Jesus, that I'm no longer a seeker. This was not the intention, but nevertheless, it's become the reality. 
People are lured into this false sense of security that they have arrived. Some of this mentality goes back further than this seeker-sensitive movement, but nevertheless, it falls into this strange mentality that after you pray a prayer and maybe even get baptized, which are both very, very important, that you just have to be a good person and maybe a good citizen and wait for Jesus to come or to die. However, if you've noticed anything from our text this morning, everyone is always a seeker. Peter was seeking in Acts 10. He sought to follow God. He was seeking how to serve God next. Cornelius was seeking to honor God further. Therefore, he was open to the dream that God showed him. I'd like to leave you with this challenge today. Dorcas, who we very briefly discussed at the beginning of our text, made a huge impact to everyone around her because of what she did. She was always kind. She was always helping others. She helped the poor. She made coats and clothes for people. So in all honesty, Dorcas was the model citizen. She did everything and anything for everyone and anyone. When she passed away, her impact spread and was felt like how you, when you toss a, a rock into the water, like ripples on a pond, it reached especially those who she made a direct impact on. When she was raised from the dead and brought back to life, I'll tell you, the news spread so fast. The people were so ecstatic. And here's the thing. God will use preachers like Peter and Paul, but those aren't the only people that God will use. Dorcas had an incredible gift of kindness, and God used that for the growth of his kingdom. So this morning, don't wish that you had someone else's gift. Remember that you have been fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God, and he has given you gifts. Use them and use them to the best of your ability. Don't make fun of or minimize the gifts that God has given you because he gave them to you for a reason. Getting involved in your church, getting involved here by using your gifts will accelerate your spiritual growth. God designed us that way. Don't head for the bleachers when you enter the kingdom of God. Head for the playing field. That's where the excitement is. That's where the action is. A while back, I used the analogy of a huddle. The church has got to break the huddle and get out and tell others about him. Let's pray. God, again, we thank you for this time this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for these examples that are given to us in your word. We thank you for the impact they had. We thank you for those who, are, who were faithful to follow what you told them to do, even if it did take a couple times and a couple visions to make it happen. Father, I pray for us all this morning as we go through our days, through our weeks, through our workplaces, through our families, our friends, our neighbors, that we would just continue 
to develop that sense of boldness to tell others about you and tell them the good news about you. And we ask this all in your name.